0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read the story of the Annunciation of Christ to Saint Mary, and we read in verses 30 and 31 of Luke chapter 1, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. And this is a perfect example of the way that God works together with us for the purposes of salvation. Sometimes um, some people try to put all of the role of salvation on God, and other people try to put all of the role of salvation on man. This is both wrong. We see here the, the cooperation of both God and man, and the idea that God is the one who came for his incarnation to redeem his people, while at the same time he used the obedience as a submission of human beings in order to bring it about. So I want to speak uh, in uh, two parts. Today we're going to speak about the first part, which is God's role in salvation. And next week, God willing, we'll speak about what is man's role in salvation. So first is what is God's role? Actually, the name Jesus himself, who is the one who has come to save us, his name itself means Savior. This reflects the entire mission of Christ on earth. This is why he came, that every time even we mention the name of Jesus, we remember that the word Jesus means Savior. He is a Savior. This is why he came. He did not come for any other purpose but so that he may save. Also, we see that salvation is completely an act of grace. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. So this holy calling that God is calling us for is not according to our works. Even the word grace, it's an unmerited gift. It's not that we did something to deserve salvation. In Romans 5, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for, uh, toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. When we ask the question, why is it that God chose a specific period of time in history for him to be incarnate and to come and visit his people? Was it because at this particular time people had earned this right? Or at this particular time people had proved their worthiness? Or at this particular time people were more holy than at any previous time? Actually, no, we don't see that at all. We see the people were still disobedient. The people were still sinful. And in every way, the people were the same. So God is the one who, because of his grace, he demonstrates his own love in that while we were still sinners, God came to save us. He's the one who took the initial step toward us, not because we did something first, but because he is the one who initiates out of his love for us. You know, even if you think like in a uh, in, in, in marital relationship where you have the husband and the wife who are in some kind of argument, or they're in some kind of enmity with each other and everyone is waiting for the other one to make the first move to make the first step to apologize first to say that they were the ones that were wrong first and this is a problem we know this is something that people wait on and we always say to those couples no each person you're the one even though you were wronged even though there's things that the other person did against you that was wrong you make the initial move you make the initial step you're the one who goes in to reconcile even though maybe yes you maybe are not at fault, but you're the one who, out of love in the relationship, you make the initial step. This is exactly what Christ did. He obviously was not wrong in anything. He did nothing wrong in in this relationship. He as the bridegroom and we as the bride. And yet he says, I will make the initial step of reconciliation and salvation out of love for my people, not because they deserve it, not because they have done anything to deserve. And this is the act of grace that, that God is coming to the world to perform. And this is why we, we dedicate this entire month of Kiak that we are in anticipation of the incarnation, because this is the work of God, his act of grace for the salvation of his people. So what are some of the things that God has done all throughout history that represent and demonstrate His grace in this process of salvation. It didn't actually start at the time of the birth of Christ. This idea of redemption and salvation was far, far earlier than at this period of history. The first act of grace that God shows us is the creation itself, the idea that God would create us in His image. It says in Genesis 1, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. And you would imagine that someone as God, of course, who knows the future and knows what is to come, knowing very well how much we are going to cause him to suffer, how much we are going to disobey him and and not submit to his authority and so on, that he could have thought twice and said, you know what, I'm I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to go through with this because I know that in the end, my people are going to uh, disobey me. They're not going to accept me. They're going to crucify me. They're going to do all of these things. So I'm not going to accept them. And all throughout this period of history, all throughout the Old Testament, we see consistently and constantly God's people are disobedient to him all the time. And yet, despite of this, it is out of his love for his people, out of his love that he chose to even create us and to make us in his image, to make us similar to him, to make us in some way like him, to have a similar image that that represents him, different than any other of the creation. That when he created man on the sixth day, he says what? It was very good. He sees us as being good in his sight. And we ask ourselves, why is it that God sees us to be so good? What is it that I have done for God to see me as being good? And the answer is, I haven't done anything. You know, just as a child who is born of parents, what is it that that child has done so that the parents would love the child? Nothing. Child hasn't done anything. And actually maybe the child is also disobedient and stubborn and obstinate and crying and complaining and in every way causes trouble to the parents. And yet the parents still love the child. Why is the reason? Simply because they are the child, my child, I love my child. It's simply the, the nature of parenting, the nature of being a father or a mother is to love the children. And this is the way that God sees us. It is in his nature to love. This is who he is, that he is love, that he would show love to us. So this is the first act of grace. It's simply him creating us. The second act of grace is his plan for redemption of us after we fell. So we know after we sinned in the Garden of Eden and at this point in time, you know the the perfect plan that God had made for us, the perfect environment that God has placed us in, is now broken. We broke it. It's not. It's not. It's not. Um, it's it's not available to us anymore. And yet, even in this moment, God already had set forth the plan of restoration and redemption. Even then, even then, still in the Garden of Eden, when He was speaking to the serpent after the fall, He says in Genesis three. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Who is this seed of the woman that he is talking about? It is the Messiah. This is actually why the word seed is capitalized in the sentence. He's saying the descendant of the woman, one of the descendants of the woman, is going to crush the head of the serpent. Meaning whatever power that the serpent has, whatever power of deception, whatever whatever power of temptation that the serpent has over God's people, that this seed, this man who is to come, is going to crush this serpent so that he no longer has any power and and, and the power of death and the consequence of sin that came about into the world because of this fall, because of this first sin that was committed in the garden was... Uh, going to be completely destroyed that the power of death itself was going to be destroyed and this plan of redemption again happened in the garden this was an act of grace that God did you know again if you look back to the analogy of parents usually at the time of the of the of the infraction the time of the of the disobedience the time where the child has done whatever it is wrong that they have done that's usually the time when the parents are the most angry and 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 Sometimes the last thing that the parents have in their mind is the idea of restoration at that point. What they have in their mind now is punishment. You know, The minute that your child does something wrong, what you have in your mind is, okay, how, how, what are the consequences now that you are going to face because of this wrong thing that you've done? And yet we see even from the very beginning, God did not have punishment in his mind. He already had in his mind, okay, what's the next thing? How Okay, you, you, you messed this up, now what's the next thing? How are we going to fix it? How are we going to get you back again from the place that you have gone, from the darkness that you have chosen? So this is the second grace that God has showed his people way back even at the time of creation that he had already made a plan for redemption for us. The third act of grace, which actually might sound strange, is the ejection from the Garden of Eden. That this itself is grace. Why is it? Sometimes we look at this act and we say this is a consequence. This is a punishment. This is something bad. Adam and Eve were happy in the garden and God is telling them that they must leave the garden. But actually, God answers this question and he explains why is it that they must leave the garden. It says also in Genesis 3, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. This is because they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden. What does this mean? Remember, there was the tree of life in the garden, and anyone who ate from this tree would live forever, and there was the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden. Having eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they became corrupted. They became corrupted and separated from God because of their sin. Had they eaten from the tree of life after this, they would have lived forever, but they would have lived forever corrupted. They would live forever separated from God. And so this is exactly what God did not want. This is what God did not want. He did not want them to remain in the garden, not because he chooses to punish them. Actually, we see just like what we read a few verses before. God already had the plan of salvation in place. But he he had to eject them from the garden, lest they live forever in this state. So even this idea of death that came into the world at this time that God had never intended, the death that God, he actually turned it from being destruction for us to being something that restores us to life again. Essentially, he is saying what? We must die in order for the corruption that we have attained to die with us, And that our spirits rise again to him in a state of incorruption and this is what death is god took something that was intended to destroy us and completely separate us from god eternally this eternal death and he made it into something that was actually life-giving he made it into something that restores us again to god so this ejection from the garden even though on the face of it looks like it might be something bad Looks like it's something that, you know, it's again, it's a punishment, it's a consequence. It's something that's happening because of the sin of the people. But actually, it's actually something that is good for the people. It's actually something that's good for us. This is why it's an act of grace, right? We didn't understand any of the things that was happening in the garden. We didn't understand what was going to happen when we sin against God and we eat of the tree of knowledge. We didn't understand what would have subsequently happened had we eaten from the tree of life. And yet in every way God is protecting us and keeping us safe as an act of grace. Not because we have done anything at all at this point to deserve any good thing from God. The next act of grace we're going to speak about is essentially what happened from that point in time all the way until the time of the Incarnation, which is what we're reading about now in Luke chapter 1, which all had to do with the prophets, the prophets. God sent commandments. He sent prophets. He sent people to remind the people, the congregation, of who they were, of how they should live, of what they should be expecting and hopeful for. Okay, in in um, Luke 24, Christ is speaking and he says, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and enter into his glory? Even at the time after the, crucif- uh, the crucifixion, when the disciples were confused about what's happening, and Christ himself appears to them, although they do not realize that it's him, and he's saying, How foolish are you? Do you not realize yet what is the message that the prophets have been trying to portray and to communicate to you for thousands of years? This is exactly why the prophets came. They didn't come just to do miracles and to, you know, tell people what to do. They came to proclaim a message of hope that even though at that time the people were still living in a state of separation from God, There was not yet the reconciliation that would come with the coming of the Messiah, but he always promised them that the Messiah will come. He always promised them that there will be hope, and that this Messiah would free them from their enemies. The people misunderstood what this meant. They thought he meant the Messiah is going to free them from like their earthly enemies. But God was saying he's going to free you from your spiritual em- enemies. He's going to free you not from just the destruction that comes when these other nations come upon you, but he's going to free you from the destruction that comes because the devil is trying to claim your soul. Because, because, because the, the death at that point meant that you would go to Hades and that you would live in separation to God from God forever. So God is saying, don't be afraid because I will come and conquer this death once and for all. So this again is an act of grace what is it that the people did to deserve that god would send them these prophets did they do anything right actually we again we read all throughout history that they never did anything right that it was constantly sinning against god and in every way god was threatening them so that they would wake up so that they would be warned that that the way that they are living is leading them to destruction this is all acts of grace The next act of grace, which is what we read about today, is the Incarnation. You know, Luke chapter 1 speaks about many different things related to the Incarnation. Last week we spoke about the Annunciation of Saint John the Baptist. Saint John the Baptist, the forerunner who was the one who was come to come before Christ. This is an act of grace that God would begin to send servants into the world to prepare the way for the Messiah. The Annunciation of Christ itself, which we read about today. This is the act of grace that God is telling his people that now is the time of salvation. Now is the time where uh, your Redeemer will come. Even the preparation of St. Mary as a pure vessel through whom that he would be born. This is also an act of grace that even he would give someone like St. Mary to the world who would be the one through whom he would be born. The birth of St. John the Baptist which we were speaking about his annunciation last week, that he's going to be born uh, later on in Luke chapter 1, that this is also an act of grace. All these steps that God had prepared from before all ages to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And of course, the the birth of the Messiah himself, that we read in John chapter 1, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Right? The Word became flesh. This was the culmination of all of the acts of grace that God had done for His people all throughout history. Also, fast-forwarding from this, the, cruci- the crucifixion itself. The crucifixion itself was, a, uh, was an, an act of grace. Christ came to serve us. He came to serve us through His crucifixion. He came to serve us through His suffering. We are the ones that should be serving Him. And yet He says, what? I am not going to accept the service, but in fact, I will serve you. He did not allow any of his apostles to wash his feet, but he is the one who washed their feet. And it says in Mark 10, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was the grace that he showed us. For what reason do you come to serve us? What have we done so that you would serve? And you are rejecting us from even washing your feet? You are, re- you are saying you did not come to be served? You did not come to the earth to be glorified. You came to the earth to suffer for our sake and to die for our sake. And it is through his blood that allowed the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with him. We read in Ephesians chapter 1, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. That through His blood we were forgiven. That all the transgressions that separated us from God were forgiven by Him. They were forgiven, not because we made amends, not because we went and said, Okay, well, we're going to undo everything that we did, or we're going to fix what it is that we, that we did. There is no way for us to fix it. There was no way for us to undo it. There was no way for us to correct it. And he came simply and offered and shed his blood for us so that we would be saved and that he would completely remove this penalty of the cut and sin of, uh, uh, for the sins that we committed. And then finally, his resurrection. In John 11, it says, Jesus said to her, speaking to uh, uh, Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. He is the resurrection. He is the source of life. That simply if we believe in him, if we follow him, then even though there is death, that God again has conquered this death and that we shall live eternally. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. So in all these ways, God has offered himself as a sacrifice for us and the plan of salvation that has been in progress for thousands of years, even from the time of the Garden of Eden that had culminated up until this point with the the incarnation of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. And in all these ways, God gave us his grace. And of course, continued from this point on all the way until the present. This is the role of God in salvation. This is everything that God has done for us. For salvation so that everyone has the opportunity for salvation. Next week, God willing, we're going to speak about what is it that God has said we should do in order to participate in this process in order for us to make use of this process, in order for us to benefit from this process. God said, yes, I've done all of these things and all these things I've done for you and you don't deserve them. You didn't do anything to earn them. It's a free gift. This is why we call it grace. But in order for you to participate in this process, I'm asking you to do certain things. And these certain things are attainable by human beings. These certain things are something that is not so lofty that we cannot attain. All the things that God did, there is no way that we could have done them. There is no way that we could have attained them. There was no person righteous enough in the world to be able to take the place of Christ and to do what it is that he did. This is why this is a free gift that God gave to us, unmerited, we did not deserve it. But there is something that we can do. And there's things that God told us, now this is what you should do in order for you to benefit from this process. And this is what we're going to speak about, God willing, next week. So just to summarize, today we spoke about God's role of salvation. We said it was an act of grace, unmerited. And the the acts that we spoke about was the creation that God made us in his image. The plan for redemption that he set forth even from the garden after the fall. The ejection from the garden that God did not as a punishment for sin but to protect us from being eternally separated from him sending the prophets and all of the warnings and all the things pointing to the coming of the Messiah so that his people would always be like thinking about what is the future? What, What should they look forward to and hope for? And then we spoke about the incarnation, the coming of Christ, the crucifixion, dying on the cross, and then finally the resurrection so that we ourselves could be resurrected with him. And again, God willing, next week we'll speak about the second half of this, which is our role in salvation. And glory be to God forever. Amen.